0: Live. Live from This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. Wait for the win. Got it! Oh, he broke his ankle. Follow me. Follow me with you put it- Here's your host, Mike Mike Phillips. Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Just Had the Suffering podcast, which New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fam. Your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We are getting ready for the NBA season. We're getting some Knicks talk We're Going to be joined by DJ Ace, a contributor from Knicks Film School. We're going to preview the Knicks season, go into all their different players, some of the storylines to watch here, big picture stuff. We'll talk about all that with DJ in just a bit. Let's we'll do our Week 8 NFL picks. I'm going to be joined by Alan Austin for Jet Giant Week. It'll be a lot of fun here on the podcast. We're going to break it all down in just a bit. So make sure you're locked into the end of the show for this two-minute drill. I'm going to preview the World Series here, giving you thoughts on the matchup here, as well as who I like to win it all. That's going to come up at the end of the podcast. If you like it here on the Just and the Suffering podcast, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, your favorite podcast platforms. Your final episode's there. Feel free to get your feedback and start as well. Now with the podcast, even better going forward. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube video version of the conversations with DJ A's and Allen are up on YouTube again Mike Phillips on YouTube without any further ado let's get to our opening tip we're going to set the stage for Jets Giants give you a little t- situation of how the Giants did at week seven that's coming up here right after this three two one y'all ready for this
1: the opening tip
0: and here we go all right opening tip time we finally made a jet giant week in the nfl season the stakes are high arguably the biggest Jets giant game since Z 2011 which i do not want to relive the jet fan so we're not going to go into that the jets got enjoy a week off in week seven here so we're focusing on the giants they hung on to beat the washington commanders 14-7 at home they improve a two and five on the year Tyrod Taylor started a game for the Giants at quarterback. He was solid. He goes 18 of 29 for 217 in yards so two touchdowns. And he also got the Giants to move the ball on offense. It's not been easy this year with Daniel Jones under center. Granted, Daniel Jones playing some tough defenses early in the early season, but good job by Tyrod Taylor here. Defense stepped up nicely as well. They sacked Sam Howell six times, came away with a key interception. Leonard Williams, he of both the Jets and the Giants, also made a big play on special teams. He blocks a field goal in the fourth quarter that would have. Allow Washington to pull within four points. Instead, they've got to stay to seven. They're able to hang on for the win there. It's a key juncture for the Giants right now. They've looked much better the past two weeks. They should be getting back both Jones and Andrew Thomas to the Jets game, if you were to believe the reports that came out last week. There's no question how much Andrew Thomas can help this offensive line. It's been bad. It's been quite horrendous for most of the year. But Tyrod Taylor's solid play the last two weeks has at least ignited a potential quarterback controversy for the Giants. Of course, the media did his job to ask Brian Dable about it after the game. He basically deflected the question. He basically said that Taylor had a good game against Washington. He's a good pro. That they're happy to have him. My read on that comment is this. This regime committed $40 million a year to Daniel Jones. He's not getting his job taken away by a journeyman quarterback and Tyrod Taylor. When Jones is ready, Jones is going to play. What I do think, however, that they aren't going to get Jones back out there until they are fully satisfied he's 100% and can protect himself in the pocket, which is key with that neck injury. Remember, he had a neck injury a few years ago, and we weren't sure if he's able to overcome it he came back. He's doing the second one now. They're going to make sure that he is fully protected, fully healthy, and hopefully they better align in front of him with healthy Andrew Thomas. Even with that situation going on, there's a lot on the line in this football game. The Jets got a lot of positive results just sitting on the sidelines of Week 7. The Bills lose in New England. Miami loses to Philadelphia on Sunday Night Football. Allows the Jets to create within one loss to the division lead. They're a half game out of a playoff spot in the AFC. The last spot right now is Buffalo's at 4 and 3. And the Jets have a head-to-head tiebreaker on them. And they have those difficult ports that are scheduled done as we discussed last week. Giants fans can look at the NFC on the other hand. It's largely a mediocre conference. I mean, you look at the NFC, you take away Philly, San Francisco, Detroit, and Dallas. Not much to really be afraid of here. The last Wildcard spot currently belongs to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at three and three. You're a Giants fan. You're sitting there saying, okay, we have these last two games, we played better. Our defense is playing well. We've moved the ball a little bit. We can get this game against the Jets, and they do have a good defense, but they are starting Zach exactly Wilson, the quarterback. We get this game. We're three and five. We're right there in a bad conference, a chance to build some momentum over the next few weeks. This is a huge game for both sides. We're going to get more into that in just a minute. When we do a little bit. We do our pick segment with Allen Austin. But up next, we're going to do some Knicks talk with DJ Ace of. NBA film school, New York Knicks uh, Knicks Film School, excuse me, that's coming up here right after this. Okay. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way the dribble up
2: and down the court, just like I'm the king on the microphone. So it's Dr. Jay and Moses Malone. I like slam dunks and take it to the hoop. My favorite play is the alley. Ooh, I like the pick and roll. I like the give and go. Cause it's basketball, but Mr. Curtis. <laughs>
0: All right, we are back here on the podcast, getting ready for another NBA season. Knicks are coming off a successful year; they won forty-seven games last year. Get to the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. Join me today to get ready for the next season. Here, a big contributor for Knicks Film School, NBA guy DJ Ace is here. DJ, how are you?
2: I'm good, Mike. How are you?
0: Doing good as can't, a.
2: Yeah, can't wait for the NBA to get going. It's been a, a long off season, but happy to get some real games uh, to break down.
0: Yeah, for sure. Here, it feels weird that considering the state of the baseball, the footballs here, the Knicks might be like the saving grace in New York sports in 2023.
2: Little stability there out of uh, MSG, which is shocking, but it's true. There's, um, we can talk more about it as we move along. But there's a, you know, the the fact that they're bringing back a close to the same roster as last year, and there's a pretty high floor at this team. Ceiling is to be determined. But yeah, there's there's some um, you can kind of fall back on your Knicks fandom a little bit and say at least we got. Them default, you know, in terms of just winning some games and getting into the playoffs and, and having some good moments at MSG. I think you're a pretty good idea that that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, for sure here. And start with that offseason here, because obviously we saw a lot of big moves in the NBA. We saw Danny Lowry go to Milwaukee. We saw Drew Holiday go to the Bucks. all the Christophs Porzingis, Marcus Marcus shipped out. And they kind of mm-hmm. do the opposite where they kind of go, OK, we're making one swap. We're bringing in Dante DiVincenzo. We're trading Obi Top and they keep the group together here. Like do you feel like that was the right way for them to attack the offseason.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. So they I, I feel like stepping back, they they clearly know that they are a move away at least at least one major move from really being a title contender. And I think if they had their druthers, they would make a trade if it was for that right superstar. But I think they're being rightfully so very picky in terms of who that is going to be I think they've they probably had opportunities whether it was Bradley Beal before the offseason really got going or um you know other players of that of that of that ilk that Paul George was rumored earlier in the offseason I think they probably could make a trade if they really wanted to they certainly have the assets I just think they're waiting on the right guy. Um, and now the question is whether that guy ever presents itself. And if they can actually pull the trigger on that trade, that's something the front office is going to have to answer. But I think the fact that, you know, they are bringing back close to the same roster with a minor, relatively minor change, I think is going to give them a little bit of an edge, at least early on in the, in the regular season as teams start to figure things out. You know, this has been a good regular season team two out of the three years under Tom Thibodeau. I wouldn't really expect anything different when they get to the playoffs then there's going to be some major question marks um, regarding how this team can level up uh, as they get there. But in terms of the regular season, the fact that they are bringing back this uh, so, uh, close to the same roster with a full jo- year out of Josh Hart, I think it's going to really bear some positive fruit for them going into the season.
0: Yeah. Definitely excited to see that here. One thing I don't think it's talked about enough here. I think it's fascinating in terms of the international experience, some of the key players that Nick Scott in the, uh, FIBA World Cup in the Aussies. I mean, you had Mm -hmm. Jalen Brunson and uh, Josh Hart on Team USA, RJ Barrett's on Team Canada. Like, we've seen in the past that international experience tends to bring up the game of some of these guys who go out and do it. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's a benefit for the Knicks?
2: Yeah, I think so, especially I think a lot of it is, um, you know, certainly game action is is hugely important, but it's almost like if I feel like the camaraderie and the practice, the the one on ones uh, that you get against some of the best players when you're just kind of hanging out in a gym and you're playing one on one against some of the best players in the world. I think that that goes a long way and just you know, these guys are highly confident, but I think it could sort of like just make it a little more indelible that you are one of the best players in the world. So I think for Josh Hart and for Jalen Brunson, I think that was a a big key. And then for, for RJ Barrett, I think for, for team Canada, his role was vastly different. Um, He was more of a play finisher for them. He was great in transition and actually played really well on the defensive end. So in terms of him specifically, I think there were some things that he did, um, in terms of his efficiency and his shooting, which we can get into a little bit, but he really revamped his shooting form this year. And as a catch and shoot guy during the <clears throat> the FIBA World Cup, he really shot the ball, the ball pretty well. And couple that with his transition um, opportunities that he had with Canada. I think that's sort of a player the Knicks are going to need as being, you know, potentially the third third banana on a really good team where he's finish in a finishing transition and make open shots i think if he does those two things and just play competent defense i think that's going to be a big opportunity for for them to to level up without making a big change in the offseason
0: yeah that's for sure here and obviously the one big acquisition here is dante di vincenzo brings in some shooting mm-hmm. here He's another villanova connection here hard nose guard who tom Thibodeau's was gonna love in his rotation here what do you think dante di vincenzo adds to this roster
2: so he has some varied ability in the way he plays the game. He's a great cutter. He's a good mover off the ball. He's a, you know, sometimes could be a little bit um, turnover prone, but he's a really good passer. I think he he does some things that the Knicks lack in terms of just their, his awareness on the offensive and defensive end. You know, he's going to be, you know, the, the Knicks are blessed with some really good high level defensive players, but they don't really have a guy that can be that ball hawk, free safety type player that can make steals and turn that into offense in the other end. DiVincenzo really does that in terms of uh, the defensive side of the ball. And then offensively, you mentioned the shooting it's not only just the fact that he can make shots at a high clip, it's the fact that he is going to be their their best spacer in terms of the depth he can get on those shots. I looked at it um, last year. He, was, he had one of the, most, um, the highest average in terms of three-point distance in the NBA. He was right up there with some of the great shooters in the league. So the fact that he could space out three feet behind the three-point line adds the spacing. And then of course, you know, last year, at least he was a knockdown shooter. So hopefully he can carry that over into the season, but um, that combined with the cutting and his movement and the way he sees the game, you know, I think he just is going to be a value add. And, you know, certainly there's going to be a crunch with the, the minutes, you know, there's probably nine or 10 guys that deserve minutes. Um, You know, how many are actually going to get, you know, significant minutes on this team is going to be something we're gonna have to watch out for, but he does add some, some dexterity to the, to his game offensively that the team really lacks, you know, they have some good isolation players and RJ has been a good play finisher transition wise. But I think in terms of just moving and, and, and adding a little bit of variability to their offense, I think Divincenzo Vincenzo really is going to bring that element to the game.
0: Yeah. It's exciting to watch for sure here. And it was something with terms of the shooting, i not we going to have Evan Fournier who fell out the rotation last year. And obviously he said, mm. being in the summer, he's like, you know, like I, I don't think I'm gonna be here next year. Like, so, right. like I, I'm doing a role here. Fast forward to opening day, he's still here. So, are you surprised mm-hmm. that he's still hung around and they didn't move him at this point?
2: A little bit, yep. Yeah. I think that they're probably valuing his contract with the new CBA as um, a contract they're not willing to attach assets to get rid of. I think they're gonna, they're probably viewing that contract as almost a a net positive because of a, the fact that it's expiring after the season. So, I think they're not willing to. You know, the, 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 if there's one thing this front office is really, you know, kind of honed in on and they, they try to get every edge, every little, you know, if they can get an extra penny or two in a trade, they're going to do it. Um, they know that those things add up over time. So I think it's one of those things where they're banking on the fact that even though he's made some comments suggesting that he can certainly play and he's he certainly has some evidence uh, backing him up. But I think they're going to bank on the fact that he's going to be professional and if, listen if there's an injury or two you know he can't play any game in an nba uh and make shots i mean that's something he can still do he's proven it um time and time again um obviously there's some warts to his game that got him out of the rotation originally but not a bad guy you want around i think they're just waiting on the fact that you know they, they could probably trade him and either you know combine him with another salary for a big trade because it's all about accumulating those salary numbers on the lower end to get the bigger guys so yeah, a little surprised that he wasn't moved, but I just think the front office is not willing to to attach assets to get rid of him, and that's probably the biggest reason why he's still here.
0: Yeah, and one guy who is been, was in trade rumors last year, wasn't as much this summer as R.J. Barrett. We talked about him a little mm-hmm. earlier with his international series with Canada here. He had, it took like he took his game up another level in the playoffs last year, especially in the yes, second sir. round series against Miami. So you feel like we've seen enough between the playoffs and the international experience where you expect R.J. to sort of make a jump here where he's, you know, like maybe contending for a spot on the All-Star team or everything bro- breaks right?
2: Yeah. So I've probably been a little bit lower than consensus on RJ um, since they drafted him. And I don't necessarily think that there's an all-star, a likely all-star ceiling. Now, if everything breaks right, sure. I think he can probably get there. Now there's going to be the issue of like, you know, he's going to be the third option unless there's an injury. So will he accumulate the numbers to really contend for an all-star spot? I'm skeptical in that regard, but you know, with all that being said, you, you need guys like him and the Knicks are, they really don't have a lot of those six, seven, six, eight wing players that are strong and they can get to the, get to the rim. You know, they have a lot of the six, four, six, five and under. So they, they certainly need his size and his strength. And there were a certain, um, uh, you know, there were some things offensively that he did in terms of the way he was processing the game as a passer in the playoffs that I'm really hoping carries over. And in the preseason, you know, I know you don't take too much away from it, but you know, making those reads out of the out of the pick and roll and hitting shooters on the opposite corner. Those are the things that, if he can start doing those things and get sort of taking out those bad inefficient attempts at the rim, that'll not only boost his efficiency to to take those shots out of his um his um, shot diet, but also benefit his teammates by finding those shooters outside on the perimeter. And then just looking at some tape today, there was a, uh, at least three or four times where. He's grabbing the ball on on defense on the defensive rebounding, and then he's going and he's finding shooters in that in that um, situation too. So, I think the passing is probably the biggest thing that I can I can see as a big jump for him. And if he improves his passing, get that efficiency up to maybe league average, then you're you're talking about a guy that's a really good player, you know, third fourth option on a, on a really good team, which is still you know a valuable piece to have on your uh, roster, even if it's maybe not quite an all star.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Here, definitely valuable here, and one guy who's probably been there most of, life, of the last like four or five years has been Julius Randle here, and he's had mm-hmm. his ups and downs. Where he's made all NBA teams a couple of times. He had the vashing act in the playoffs against Atlanta two years ago. Last year, he's playing through the ankle injury, and he looks like insecure in his shot attempts here. So, like, if should the Knicks have be any concern about like Randall, we know we, what he delivers in the regular season, back in the playoffs, that he's sort of gone like like shrinking violet the last two playoff appearances for them.
2: Yeah, it's I mean, it's it, it'll be a concern until it's not. And certainly, as you as you alluded, he's regular season two out of the last three years has been fantastic. I mean, two of the best Nick season, individually um, speaking, that they've ever had in their franchise. So he is a big time offensive player in the regular season. Now, that is I think that we've gotten to the point where we are underrating that fact that he is com- really, you know, despite the ankle injury last year, he's very durable. He's performed well in the regular season. He's going to help this team get into the playoffs, in my opinion. Now, when he gets there, he has a lot of questions to answer, And I think that, you know, you mentioned the ankle injury. Despite, you know, putting that aside, I think there were some things in the way he processes the game that just leave a lot to be desired. I don't think you're necessarily changing that he doesn't see things very quickly even though he commands a lot of attention he doesn't he he doesn't really pay, make the the defense pay as much as you would like because he's a beat behind sometimes and he can allow those rotations to sort of get balanced because he's not seeing that pass uh quick enough but the fact that, uh, uh remains that he, they they just need him and they need him to to play 75 plus games in the regular season because there's just not a lot um in terms of you know he just levels this team up offensively so when they get to the playoffs You know, if he could just make more shots, you know, catch and shoot and just be a little bit better on the defensive end, that's probably going to be, you know, it's definitely going to be a big improvement. It might be good enough to get this team into the potentially into the Eastern Conference Finals if he has a really great um, postseason. But, you know, there's some things the way he sees the game, the way he processes it where at 28, 29 years old, I don't necessarily bank on that changing, but there's some other low-hanging fruit um, just in terms of shot-making, taking better shots that he can probably improve on in the playoffs, and that should allow him to have a better outcome.
0: Yeah, that's for sure here. And obviously, the one big question in the rotation, in my opinion, is just obviously we all know that Obi Toppin is gone. They send him to Indiana for the two second-round picks here. There's a big hole with backup power forward because Julie's the only mm-hmm. one really on a guaranteed contract in the roster here. I know they've experimented with different things the second unit, They had Josh Hart running as the four on that unit. They've had our RJ in the mix as well. They've thought maybe doing Jericho Sims is sort of like a dual big format here. Like, How do you think they attack that backup four spot?
2: Yeah, I think that you're going to see a lot of Josh Hart. Um, I think he's going to get the primary backup four minutes. Um, I think RJ is certainly going to get um, a look at that. And they really, as you mentioned, they really did at least get a look at Jericho uh, Sims at the four. I think the minutes there were in the preseason a bit spotty because I, I just think there's a spacing issue that you're just, uh, it's just going to be hard for you to, to um, figure out. Um, now, with that being said, we're really banking on the, you know, 75, I mentioned 75 games out of Julius Randle. And I think there's a little bit of a, of the idea that you're going to get that uh, this year. And it, I, I think that this team is going to be in a little bit of a trouble um, if he's not, Performing that well because if you're not performing that many games, because I looked at Josh Hart. He played some four for FIBA, and there's just times where you know, as hard as he plays, as aggressive as he is, as good a rebounder as he is, six four, six four, and if you're going up against you know six eight plus um, power forwards, it's just gonna, it's just tough for him. I think he's at his best when he can crash from the the perimeter and really get those offensive rebounds, those back breaking offensive rebounds that he's so uh, accustomed to getting. I think it's much harder for him when he's having to contend with guys that are four or five inches taller than him. So it's definitely a, a question mark. Um, you know, I don't because of the way Obi Toppin played, I don't necessarily think that they're gonna, you know, I think they're probably gaining a little bit in the rebounding um department. Um, but there's probably a little bit more weak side rim protection that Obi can offer just by sheer length and athleticism, um, that they're not gonna be able to replace unless you're going to go with a a Jericho Sims lineup. And then that is one where, you know, teams are really going to, you know, shade again off his side. And if they're going to put him at the, at the corner, he's going to have to have the ball in his hands. And then that's him, you know, catching maybe a lot more DHO um, action with him with the ball diving to the rim, but they're gonna have to figure out some way to, to hide him a bit. But we know Thibodeau, he's going to have his, his center. He's going to have Hartenstein or Mitch in that um, at the spot um, next to Jericho. So maybe it's going to be more of the Hartenstein Sims minutes because, you know, while I don't think Hartenstein is a stretch big um by any stretch of the imagination, you know, he can, he has a, he has a floater game that's pretty efficient. And the fact that he can catch the ball out on the perimeter and do something with it, put the ball on the floor, maybe go get all the way to the rim. So I think you, you can maybe theorize that a Hartenstein Sims pairing at the five, four in spurts can work depending on the matchup so certainly a big question going into this uh season but i think they're probably going to be okay with um with Hart, rj and in spot duty jericho
0: yeah that's for sure here one of the players who's interesting here why i sort of touch on real because i was recording on extension deadline day in the nba and we're Mm -hmm. less than an hour from the deadline they've not not reached a long-term extension with isaiah emmanuel quickly yet which i mean Mm -hmm. not a big deal because obviously they still have his rights he can go restricted free agency after this year but are you surprised that it's in this that they have not put like you know come to terms as of recording time
2: yeah um I am uh now I don't obviously we're not privy to the negotiation so we don't know what the the quickly side is uh, putting forth as their what they're willing to accept because I'm sure he is seeing some of the deals that are being signed whether it's Devin vassell or JD McDaniels who signed earlier uh today while we were recording to a a massive deal so he's seeing these these contracts and if you look if you're analytically sound and I'm sure, you know, the quickly side is, you know, has these numbers, you know, analytically he's as good as, you know, he, there's probably, you know, you can argue he's one of the top 25 players in the league. If you're strictly looking at that, those numbers, he is, he has a great case for that. He probably should have won six man in the year last year. Uh, so I think that there's probably, a, there's clearly a sizable gap between what the Knicks are willing to do and what Quickly's, um team is willing to accept. Now the question, you know, the issue that for the Knicks is that if you don't, if you don't sign him and he goes to restricted free agency, we know there's going to be a handful of teams that should have a max slot, if not more, that probably would be willing to throw a major offer at at, uh, quickly. So to get into restricted free agency, that's dicey. So, you know, if I'm as a Knicks supporter, you know, I would like to see them come to a deal, but, you know, without having, and, and I'm sure we'll get reporting if we if we you know get to deadline and there is no deal signed. I'm sure we'll get reporting in terms of where the, the gap was and how sizable it really it really was. But you know, quickly side, they he views himself, himself as a starting point guard in the NBA. You know, as long as Jalen Brunson is is here, um, he doesn't have that spot on the Knicks. So this could be a, a case where the Knicks are viewing him as, you know, maybe a sixth a starter, you know, certainly good enough to start, but just doesn't have that spot on this roster and i'm sure they're offering you know a contract that is uh, you know commensurate with what they they feel, feel he is but if quickly he's like listen i am a Im- Im- burgeoning all-star i should be a starting point guard and this is what starting point guards in the nba are getting and that's you know four or five years upwards of 120 million dollars then you know we could be getting past the deadline with no contract signed which is just going to add a lot of question marks um you know going into that off season
0: yeah for sure here and obviously he's one of the pieces keeping an eye on here because obviously Knicks have been Imagining these chips are as draft picks, young players, mm-hmm. looking for the eventual star trade. We mentioned before Leon Rosen very, very patient, looking for the right guys. Like, how much longer like how patient do you think he is willing to be in this scenario? Because obviously they passed on opportunities, potentially in the Damian Lillard sweepstakes, Holiday, Bradley Beal, mm-hmm. several other guys you mentioned before here. Like, do you feel like that yep. they have like once if a guy there's looking for archetype or this you think that they might at get some point in page and say, you know what, like we have to make our move now? Here's the next available guy, we'll get him.
2: It's good, cool. Great question. Um, Last year, you know, clearly they were in on the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes. Now that was prior to the Jalen Brunson leap. And I'm sure I know that, I know the Knicks didn't expect the performance that Brunson had last year um, when they were in those uh, negotiations uh, with Utah. I just, I can't imagine they were now Donovan Mitchell. He could be the fallback guy because it's clear that there is, he's he hasn't resigned with Cleveland. He's not extending there. He wants to he won't be in New York, and then that, whether that's with the Knicks or Brooklyn, that's actually a, a you know pretty viable question here. But he could be your 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 backup plan. But in terms of their, you know, the marquee guy, I don't, I, I, it's it has to be Um, um I just think that yeah, obviously there's the CAA connections. There's, um, but it's more than just a than that. It's the fit. I think if there's one guy that's a, that's potentially attainable that can, you know he's not the perfect superstar. There's certainly the injuries and the playoff performances that have been, you know, you know, he just hasn't been as good in the playoffs as he was, uh, has been in the regular season. But I think he's a guy you can, you can talk yourself into um, in terms of putting you over the top. And I think that, you know, he is at least someone that legitimately could be had because of all the different question marks that Philadelphia is currently going through at his age. You know, I don't think he, is going to be interested in a, in a rebuild, or even if it's a a one year rebuild, I don't think he's necessarily going to be into the idea of uh, just let's wait a year and then go free agency in a max slot next year. So I think that he could be a guy that can uh, demand his way out. And I think the Knicks are probably keeping their powder dry for him. And then beyond that, you know, I do, you know, let's just say the Clippers don't end up getting James Harden and yes, they have a new arena that they are going to have to sell tickets for, but I do have I I do wonder if Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are going to be available come to the trade deadline or, or maybe this um, coming off season, if they don't have a, a great season. And I think both of those guys, you know, major concerns on both of them, want going to, they're going to want extensions. They're getting up there in age. There's the injury issues, but I think both of them represent the sort of wing defender two way player that this team doesn't have currently. Um, So I think that they would both uh, potentially, be great fits on this roster but I think it, it's all going to come down to Embiid so as you're um you know paying attention to you know your Knicks I think paying attention to what's going on in Philadelphia is going to be just as important um because if he's not happy and he's he's going to want out we know he's he's going to want to go to you know a handful of teams and I'm I'm pretty confident the Knicks would be on that list and it's just a matter of like do they have the assets to make that happen.
0: Yeah, for sure. Here. And obviously, that's a far away, away here. Let's take a look at the current roster. Here's the last question I sort of have for you. Here's like, obviously, mm-hmm. they had a lot of things go right last year. They get to the second round. They give the Heat a run, and they ended up losing six games here. Do you think that that's sort of their ceiling with this group? Or do you think that there's room where they can make other step if you have some internal proof of younger guys like RJ and Quickly and Quentin Grimes and so on?
2: Yeah, before the season started, I thought that this team had a ceiling to get to the Eastern Finals. And I, you know, it just. With the that was before the the Lillard trade and then um, Boston getting Porzingis and and then Holiday, so I I I really think that if I had to be fair about this, I think second round is a reasonable ceiling for this this roster, bearing any um you know moves that that add some talent in, uh, injection to this roster because I, I just think that. Milwaukee and Boston—they're so good right now. I think Boston has—you can argue—in terms of one through six—is as good as it's been potentially since the Durant Warriors in terms of talent. I think they're a great team, and I, I think the Lillard, uh, um, Giannis uh, pairing is going to be uh, just fantastic. And if he's—if Giannis is healthy, and you get another—you know—great year out of Lopez, and you have uh, obviously Portis and 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 the guys that have surrounding them, I think that they have every right to feel that they are a title contender. And I just think that before the, you know, they got those trades happen. I felt the Knicks, if everything broke right, another leap by, as you mentioned, RJ and maybe Brunson getting even a little bit better. You can probably talk yourself into getting to the Eastern finals. And as you, you mentioned, you know, they did take the heat to six games who, you know, ended up going to the finals. So, but after these trades, I, I think of a fair ceiling is second round. And, but I think what that does is continue this idea that this is a good organization, a good team that is still a player away. And I think that there's going to be a a player that's going to want to come here. And if, and if they can continue just moving the ball, you know, down the field, so to speak, and winning in the, you know, upwards of 47, 48 games and winning around the playoffs, I think there's still going to be a team that, is going to have some interest around the league if players, um, you know, not, you know, if it's when they ask out. You know, I think the Knicks will be on many of those lists and they certainly have the assets. And it'll be up to Leon Rose and company to, to sort of decide, you know, when to strike and how aggressive to, uh, to be when you do strike. So, yeah, I think that, you know, second round is a fair ceiling. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think, you know, keeping this thing moving in, in a positive direction is probably a, a decent outcome for this uh, organization.
0: Yeah, certainly for sure, DJ. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. People want to follow your NBA coverage. How can they do that? Follow you on social media.
2: Yeah, um, DJ Ace NBA on Twitter. Um, You can see all my uh, stuff there. So if I'm doing other things around there or on, uh, sorry, on X. Um, it's going to take a while for me to get used to calling uh, uh, Twitter X, but on either one, whatever you call it, on that platform, DJ Ace NBA, you'll see all my stuff there, all my work with uh, Nick's Film School. You can find um, all my work there. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, let's go, Nick's. Hopefully, you have a, a good season to sort of break down. And maybe I'll uh, come on and we we'll can talk about some actual games uh, down
0: the line. That sounds fun, DJ. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it.
2: You're welcome. Recordings.
0: Show me the money
1: all
0: right show me the money nfl picks for week number eight coming up here on the podcast it is jet giant week on the podcast so i thought i would bring a giant fan on do the picks with me here alan austin is here alan how are you
1: mike it's a big week both our teams are not coming off losses Yours from a bye, mine from a nice, hard-fought, I'll-take-a-dub-any-day win over the Commanders. So, uh, looking forward to this weekend and the rest of the NFL slate as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we'll get to this in a minute here. But first, let's start with the Giant Commander game out here. Obviously, I was bouncing around a little bit because the Jets are on bye. I usually have the red zone on. I'm doing other things here. I'm sure you were locked in here. What was your bait take from this Giant Commander game?
1: That... Things need to really rue Goldberg into place for the Giants to win a game this season. I know it sounds harsh, but it really takes a bunch of, you know, lemony snicket series of unfortunate events for the opponent for us to take away a victory. It happened with Arizona. It happened with Washington, although our defense played great. But it, it it was not a great win. It was a win, and that's all that matters. I'll take it. The uniforms were crisp. I hate losing in those uniforms, so I'm glad we pulled out the victory this past weekend. But it was an ugly win, but a win nonetheless. A great first half, not a great second half. Thank goodness for the defense, which blitzed Sam Howell into a backup role probably in the future. So uh, I'll take it.
0: Yeah, that's for sure here. And obviously, one thing we're keeping an eye here for me, at peak my interest here, is that now – we might possibly have a quarterback controversy brewing with the Giants He's obviously the offense is played much better the two games that Daniel Jones has been after an injury. Tyrod Taylor is in there. Brian Dill didn't exactly shut it down, but didn't exactly endorse uh Taylor as like a starter option either. So you're like what's your read? On? Do you think we have a controversy brewing with the Giants quarterback?
1: In the in the end of the day, no because they're not going to build this team and franchise around Tyrod Taylor. He's not the four-year, $160 million guy Daniel Jones is. I think one of the reasons Dayball wouldn't comment on it, because if you are going to have Tyrod play again this weekend for whatever reason, you don't want to come out early in the week and say Jones is our guy. You don't want to maybe rock his confidence or not give him that you know extra edge he needs to go out there and think maybe maybe I can steal this job, which, you know what, right now in my heart, Tyrod Taylor is the starting quarterback. Gives him a better chance to win. Has a better veteran presence at times. I don't want to talk about the goal line at the end of the first half in Buffalo, but other than that, he he seems to make the correct throw when needed. You know, he he takes care of the ball better than Jones does. I I've when they signed him to be the backup, I was hoping he would win the job over Jones. That was pre contract. So now with Jones having the contract, I think ultimately they don't have a quarterback controversy, but I feel more confident when Tyrod Taylor is on the field.
0: Yeah, that's for sure here. And obviously this is a huge game coming up here in week five, here, week eight here at the Jets-Giants game. And obviously, I said the game the pocket, I think this might be the biggest game for both teams, I think, since the uh, Victor Cruz game in 2011. I am not reliving as a Jet fan, but uh, what are your thoughts <laughs> on this game?
1: Look, I think the Jets are in better shape than the Giants are going forward. I think the Jets need it more. I think the Giants are not as good a team. I think a loss here will just, you know, continue to trickle down the rest of the way. And I also think if the Giants win here, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily launch them into a, you know, a, uh, all of a sudden they're, they're a much better squad. I, I think this game is more important for the Jets who are still hanging on to playoff hopes, especially when the Bills just Cannot figure it out right now. Dolphins are losing to big name teams. The Jets are still very much in the hunt for the division, let a, you know, and a wild card spot. I think the game is more important for the Jets. I think the Giants are looking for a few more wins this year. But honestly, as a Giant fan, if if they're not going to be good, I'd rather lose as many as possible. Um, so. I think this game is more important for the Jets, and I think ultimately the Jets will win this game. But I think it'll be a sloppy, low-scoring affair where you know both defenses just own the day.
0: Yeah, I definitely could see that scenario playing out here. Because for me, I'm looking at this game. I think a lot of people now, the Jets have been off for a week. People forgot what they did. I think I've seen a lot of buzz online about, oh, this is the Giants get right spot. They're playing better, like so on and so forth. Do you buy that narrative at all?
1: Ultimately, although I think the Jets will take it, as, I'm, I'm being as unbiased as possible here, Mike. I hope you appreciate that. Uh, I, I, as much as I do think the Jets will win, it would be a lie to say it's not a toss up game. I, I think either team could win it, but I do think the Jets will. But I could see the Giants riding high in momentum and going in with a certain confidence. You know, it's a home game for both teams, so that doesn't really matter. But I do see if if Tyrod and the offense can click a little bit, if he keeps going to Waller, if he keeps going to Wandale for short routes, if they can get the ball out before the defensive line owns the offensive line, then I think there, it's a real toss-up and it could be any team's game. But if the defense gets through that old line which is punctured to say the least, and just continues to just get in Tyrod's face and force Aaron throws and maybe he doesn't get the ball out on time, it's a Jets victory. I will say, though, that the Commanders came into that game with a – underperforming, but daunting, uh, defensive line. And that weak giants offensive line held them at bay for the most part. So if they can pull out a miracle again, it could be a tough day for the jets, uh, offensively and defensively. But if, if, if all goes according to plan and what I think will happen, it'll be a, like I said, it'll be a sloppy, hard hitting defensive stand kind of game with the jets coming out on top.
0: Yeah, I think for sure. I think I'm watching here at the Giants' eye I think, Andrew Thomas plays, again, I think it's much closer than like than we would initially believe. I think Thomas is the big difference between the jet pass rush harassing the quarterback all day or the quarterback having a chance to make some plays.
1: Yeah, if Andrew Thomas plays, you know, that's a big if based on what we've seen so far this season. If he's back and if he's in game shape and if he's at 100% and he's ready and his timing is there and everything sinks, that's a huge, huge plus for the Giants offensive line and does change the dynamic quite a bit.
0: Yeah, for sure. We'll see what happens here this week, but we're getting to the picks. The reason why you're here. Here, my friend Dandy Marti was here last week. He had one and two on the week. He had the Jaguars getting a point on Thursday night. They won the game outright in overtime. He had the Lions laying the three, getting three in Baltimore. They got blown out there. He had the Commanders laying a three against the Giants. so loss there for him, one and two.
1: All right. And uh, what did you have last week?
0: I went one and two as well. I was also with him on the Commanders, so that was a miss from both of us here. I had the Bucks laying two and a half. Ended up losing that game at the gun on a field goal by uh, Wei Koo and the Falcons. I had the Eagles laying two on Sunday night against the uh, Dolphins. They won that game handily. So with the assist of the refs, I'll point out as well. So one and two for me.
1: Awesome, awesome. So do you want to go first or, or, or do you want me to go first?
0: You go first in one I Let's point out on the year, both sides are 12 and 9. So it's been a tight race so far. So, Alan, cool. you, were, you were up first here. Where are you going with your first pick of the week?
1: So my first pick of the weekend will be Houston minus two and a half against Carolina. I I, I don't care that Houston's on the road and that they're coming off a bye. This is a really bad Carolina team, and it's the battle of the first two picks in the draft, which has had a clearly superior CJ Stroud performance so far this season. I really like Houston and Carolina.
0: Yeah, for me, this is a game I'm staying away from because I want to see it out of the Texans, but they have won the quarterback pick so far, Stra being better than uh, Bryce Young. But to me, if Houston wants to have a season, you cannot lose this football game. You need to win this game in some form if you want to be taken seriously as a contender in the AFC.
1: And I, and I think that division's pretty much a wide, you know, other than Jacksonville, there's, there's room to be made for who's going to finish second. And right now, I think it's Houston's division to come in second. So this is a, like you said, this is a big game to go down that path.
0: All right, that's pick one. We're going to
1: pick two. Pick two, I am going with Minnesota, plus two and a half on the road in Green Bay. We talk, You talked about the Giants feeling confident after the Washington game. How, how should the Minnesota Vikings feel coming off that Monday night game against the 49ers? The Packers are not the Packers of old. They're, they're, Jordan Love has kind of come down to earth after a few good weeks to start the season. I just think Minnesota is going to be flying high and they will outscore Green Bay, thus leading them to a victory.
0: Yeah, that one scares me because I'm I will terrify picking Minnesota going on the road, short week, division rival. So, brave, brave job for you taking it. I'm on no part of that game.
1: Hey, if we if we don't take risks in life, then what's the fun?
0: Yeah, for sure. We are going with a uh, pick number three.
1: Uh, pick number three. I'm going with the Falcons minus two and a half. They're coming off that big divisional win against Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, uh, they, they're, they're, they're a scrappy team. They're very interesting. I, I think they're going to win that division. I think it's going to come down to, you know, who just makes the least amount of mistakes. And although Desmond Ritter fumbles a lot and throws a couple picks here and there, I just like the grittiness of that Falcon team. They've got weapons. They've got, you know, they've got momentum, like I said, coming off the division win. And just seeing that team come together, is, its it's been pretty fun. So I'm going to take the Falcons over the Titans, minus two and a half. The Titans, I think, are in dire straits. I know they've played well occasionally here and there, and they play pretty well at home. But I, I just don't like the matchup for the Titans. So I'm going to go Falcons out on a limb here, two and a half.
0: I like that one. I do feel like the Titans are sort of in free fall here. Ryan Tannehill got hurt prior to the bye here. They started trading pieces off here. This could be, you know... The thing that sort of sets off a fire sale in Tennessee for the deadline
1: Talk about a fleecing of a trade getting uh, the safety from Tennessee for late round picks, Philadelphia is just loading up, going into the getting ready for the uh, second half of the season
0: Yeah, that's for sure here and uh, I'm up now with my pick. so pick one I'm going to go to our game here. I'm going to take the Jets laying the two and a half points here. Like I said, this is a toss-up game. I have less the field goal. I've been on the Jets in this game. I think they're getting undervalued here. I think everybody's trying to jump on the Giant bandwagon way too fast here. I think the Jets are in good spot to win this football game. I think their defensive line will get the Giants headaches here. They have better playmakers on the offensive end, I feel like, as a whole. I think the Jets are playing well. I think they're going to prove it here. come out of the bye hot, and I think they're going to win this game. So give me the Jets pick one.
1: Yeah, I have no problem with that. Like I said, I also think the Jets are going to win. If if the offensive line holds their ground, it's a real toss-up game. But if I'm a Jets fan, the one thing that really concerns me is Wilson getting blitzed all day, to quote Coach uh, Coach Yost from Remember the Titans. You blitz all day. So if that happens, it could be a long day for the Jets, but I'm with you. All
0: right, let's pick one here. Pick two, I'm thinking the Seahawks laying three at home against the Cleveland Browns here, I think – the Browns, I don't know what to make of them. They're 4-2, but they've had Deshaun Watson miss most of three games at this point with shoulder issues. He had a concussion last, a protocol last week, but they didn't put him back in the game. They lost their second running back, Jerome Ford, a high ankle sprains to be out of this game here. Seattle's a little under value. I think three points at home is not a lot for them because they have a great home field advantage. They can run the ball well. They have weapons on the outside. I think Seattle does well again. I lay the three of the Seahawks.
1: I almost chose this game. I'm right there with you. Uh, I don't think the Seahawks are this bulletproof squad. I think they have a lot of holes, but I think they're they're good enough to beat the Browns handedly at home. I, I, the Browns are working with some kind of magic right now. It's not Deshaun Watson magic. It's, it's just they are finding ways to win games. Last week's controversial, of course, but I, I like that pick. I almost went with it. I think it's a slam dunk. All right,
0: that's pick two, pick three. I'm going to take the Bengals getting five and a half points in San Francisco's the 49ers last week. And the 49ers last two weeks have not looked very good. They have struggled with some injuries. They're not the same without Trent Williams and Debo Samuel here. They had a bad effort in Minnesota last night here, and Cincinnati had a week off to get ready for this game. There's a lot of motivation to play well here. Joe Burrow's getting healthier by the week. They might have T. Higgins back for this game, and you know what? Five and a half is a huge number in this game, and Samson tends to play close games against like good teams, so I will take the points to the Bengals here. This one will closer, I think, people anticipate.
1: This feels like your most brazen pick of the three. Uh, to, uh, to you know, to piggyback off my uh, my pick from before, but I, I I can see where you're going. I still think the 49ers are a great team. I think what what their biggest deterrent that you know is that Brock Purdy is human after all. He's not just some whiz kid who's going to you know under Kyle Shanahan's system be an MVP type candidate he's come down to earth the team doesn't look as sharp but they're still very formidable this is to me your riskiest pick but i get why you did it so this this is a maybe one of the better matchups if not the matchup of the weekend as well being that we're giants and jeff fans that's our matchup of the weekend but other than that
0: yeah so that's where we're going here for the picks of the week here Allen again reset he took the texans laying two and a half in carolina against the panthers the falcons laying two and a half in uh Ten, in Tennessee against the Titans. The Vikings laying, getting two and a half in Green Bay, so three road teams for Allen. My picks, Jets laying two and a half in the, in the regular season Snoopy Bowl. The Seahawks laying three at home against the Browns, and the Bengals getting five and a half in San Francisco against the 49ers. So those are your picks for week eight here on the podcast, and uh, this is the first of back back weeks of the podcast for Allen, because we're actually going to continue our tradition of re- reviewing Flanniverse podcast, Flannoverse shows on the podcast.
1: And boy, am I excited to talk about that. You know, my my love for Mike Flanagan and uh, his crisp style of filmmaking just continues here with House of Usher. So I'm excited to talk about it with you.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. Like, as of recording, I have not finished yet, but we're going to be talking about it early next week. I'll be in the podcast feed next week and talk about that one here. And uh, I've been trying to get, catch on some of the Flanagan movies I haven't gotten to lately. I saw Oculus recently.
1: Oh, okay. What did you think of it?
0: I liked it a lot. I thought it was a very uh, clever story to, uh, telling from Flanagan. It's one of his earlier ones, too. So.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it'll never make you look in the mirror the same way. It's, it's, it's solid for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I, I was not now look in a mirror the right way for like at least two days after watching that movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Have you seen Gerald's Game? Uh, that's next on the list. Oh, okay, look forward to hearing your reaction on that
0: one. Yeah, I'll try and get to that one before we record next week. But, uh, Alan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Mike. Always a pleasure. The Two-Minute Drill.
0: All right, two-minute drill times. Get ready for the World Series. Kicks off on Friday on Fox. I'm sure they're not thrilled with the matchup in terms of t rating potential between the Texas Rangers and Arizona Diamondbacks. These two teams took an interesting pass to get here. Go to the Texas side here. They go through Tampa Bay, sweep the two-game series in the, in the wild card series. They sweep the Orioles for three games there. Then they go to the Astros. They get one of those weird series. This is the second time in five years that the rogue game won all seven games of the series, and this is the second time in a row that Houston has lost it, and Max Scherzer started both games, sevens of those series here. But the thing with the Rangers that was interesting here is they have a great one-two punch at to the top of the rotation. Former Yankees, by the way, Nate Evoldi and Jordan Montgomery, who delivered a dominant effort in Game 7 where he comes out of the bullpen, he throws two and a third innings after Scherzer gets pulled early here. Yankee fans got to be sick watching Jordan Montgomery pitch, by the way. It's a guy who Brian Cashin a year ago told you, oh, we don't even view him as part of our postseason rotation. That's why we traded him for Harrison Bader. Playoffs this year. He has been absolutely ridiculous for the Texas Rangers. And he started four games. He's cast in five. He's 3-0 with a 2.16 ERA, 128 whip, 17 strikeouts in 25 innings. That's the kind of stuff you want to see in a postseason rotation if you're a Yankee fan. But Brian Cash knows pitching so well that the Yankees don't need Montgomery. Oh well, of all these pitch well, I and mean, they get Ranger. Robin's gotten hot, especially Adolis Garcia, who has had a ridiculous postseason run. I mean, you look at some of the stuff he's done against the teams like Texas and I guess teams like Houston and Baltimore. I mean, in the postseason, he's got twenty RBIs, twenty of them. That's seven home runs in the in the postseason, which is absurd. That kind of dominance is going to lift a team through a series. I mean, in Game Seven in Houston, he goes. Four for five, five RBIs, two home runs, three runs scored. Hard to beat that. Those those two dynamic pitchers are in there. The Mets fans are going to be sick. You know, like and that Scherzer are DeGrom are in the World Series, and they never really did that much to contribute to this. So I think both sides, the average room for the Arizona Diamondbacks here, would take care of a business in a very interesting way. They go down 0-2 to Philly. They're down 6-2 to in Game 4 at home, and that's probably should have been the death knell of the series. They rally to come back and win. Fix that game. They win game seven on the road in Philly. 4-2. to Corbin Carroll has a huge day here. And the Diamondbacks are a product of this new baseball system, landscape here. They're an 84-win team. They get in the playoffs. They get hot. And they're in the World Series. And I'll see a lot of complaining about, you know, the format stinks. Like, you got to get the good teams in there. I mean, Mad Dog has said, I'm going to retire if the Diamondbacks come back and win. Who knows who will actually follow through on that. But in terms of this series here... These two teams are matched up pretty well. Texas is a little bit better of an offense. Arizona has a little bit deeper bullpen. Tory Lavolo is an aggressive going to it here. They have two top stars in Zach Allen, Merrill Kelly. I'm trying to go back and check out here how these two teams did in the regular season against each other because obviously everybody plays everybody this year. So we'll take a look at what that series looked like for the uh, Rangers. It's actually a split series here. They played twice. They, May 2nd and 3rd in Texas, the two teams split the series there. We're going to go find the Arizona half in a second, but I do think this is an interesting sort of setup here with Arizona and Texas, because, obviously, Arizona, the first time back in the World Series, is was one when they broke the Yankees' hearts. They did uh, sweep Texas the second round, so they won three or four during the regular season here. Certainly interesting to watch that. Texas still looking for its first ever World Series title here. They lost two in the early 2010s to San Francisco and St. Louis back-to-back, so... I want get that, i get out back here. I think New York is going to unite, here, ring for Arizona. Yankee fans don't want to see Jordan Montgomery, and of all the get rings, especially a all this Chapman on Texas, too, there'll be bitter salt in the wound after how many times he's burned Yankees in postseason. And that fans, I think, are pretty united in this one. They do not want to see DeGrom and Scherzer winning for Texas. That's when DeGrom had nothing to do with it, and Scherzer basically threw the entire organization on the bus his way out the door. I think we have fun series to watch. My pick here, I think it is unfortunately going to be Texas. I think they're going to win this in six games. They have home field. I think their offense is too good right now. I think Arizona's bullpen is not going to be up to task here. I think this will be a Jordan Montgomery World Series MVP kind of situation. Both New York fans will be miserable after a very bad baseball season. And with that, I want to end the show for the week. I want to thank my guests, DJ Ace, for coming on to talk all about the Knicks as they get ready to kick off the season tonight. I also want to thank uh, Alan, Pine, Alan Austin for doing the Week 8 NFL Picks. If you want to stuff like this podcast, Click a look at the Brooklyn Nets season preview. I think they could be in store for over the course of this year. Check out the blog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. Check out the Sky Guys podcast here. We had some fun last week. We did an AMA episode that's out there now. Coming out tomorrow on the feed, we're going to do our bracket reveal for the second annual Sky Guys Star Wars bracket. You want to see what the bracket's about? Subscribe to the podcast, same platform I mentioned at the top of the show. You can also follow me on social media, Phillips 331 That's mphilips i p s three three one. That's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next year, we've a two-show week, but first up, our annual Halloween special year that I mentioned earlier. Alan Ausley back to talk about the fall of the house of us here. Stanko's coming back to do some fun stuff and more. So have a good week, everybody. Mm-hmm.